Welcome to the Beth and Kelly Show, a weekly Facebook Live conversation between Beth Fortune and Kelly Klingen. That's me. And we've made it into a podcast. Beth Fortune currently serves as Education Director at Wintergrass, the National American String Teachers Association Board, and Chair of the National Council for Orchestral Education. I currently serve as Education Director at Jazz Ed the Washington president at Jazz Education Network and Jazz Curriculum Officer for Washington Music Educators Association. We have a platform and we really want to leverage it for positive change. Please hit us up. Let's have a conversation and uh, let's move our practice as music educators forward. And uh, we are here on this fantastic Friday with a longtime friend of the Beth and Kelly show, Marcus Pimpleton. And I first met Marcus the summer after eighth grade in the All City Marching Band. So that oh would have gosh. been, I think, the summer of 93, I think. Oh my gosh. And Marcus and I both played trombone in that band. And um, everybody called him to Dow. And um, I just thought, man, this guy's a whole lot of fun to spend time with. And I remember like marching next to Marcus in parades. And we always had so much fun in that front row going down the all of the parade routes in um, Seattle's neighborhoods. And I know that um, I would really like Marcus to talk about all city marching band at some point in the show because it's something that he is really really beautiful and that marcus is like the guy for like but, still involved since eighth yeah. grade still involved yes it's just year 30 so oh, wow hopefully Goodness. we have a summer but this would be year it's 30 if we didn't have it so well it looks like summer behind you marcus yeah. is calling in from yakima which is in Eastern Washington, where Marcus is the executive director for racial and educational justice. And you and, might be sitting um, here going, I thought he was a band director. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a band director. He's a school administrator. Yes. And he is a person who works on a district level. Yes. To help teachers become culturally responsive. Yes. And uh, also, go dogs. <laughs> go, go dogs. <laughs> Marcus, why don't you um, tell us something about yourself that, uh, that you'd like all of our listeners to know. Just go ahead. Yeah, Marcus. it's uh, good to be here. Really excited. Um, I've seen little snippets of the different shows yes. um, over time, and I'm really excited to be a part of it um, today. I am, you know, as you said, working in Yakima as the executive director for racial and educational justice. My job is mainly to help um, leaders on all levels, which I, I consider everyone, students in our system to be leaders, um, all the way up to district administrators at all levels to really think about how can we reconsider the way that we do the work of school to make it um, effective for all kids. Um, a big part of my work this year has been, I do a session twice a month with the school board um, where we're having the school board members engage in conversations about race um, and equity and do some of the deep work to build 
some of that self-work to figure out what is the role that race has played in their lives and how does race and racism end up impacting school systems, doing similar work with the superintendent's cabinet here, and then doing stuff with all of our principals and then schools that invite me in. It's um, pretty random. I When I became a music teacher, I thought that was all that I was gonna do. And I guess, I don't even wanna use the word all, cause I think, I, I suspect that I will retire as teaching in a music classroom. Like that's really the work wow. that I um, love to do. I was asked uh, when I was a student at the UW, I, I went thinking I was going to become a lawyer. And then I realized yeah. that lawyers spend a lot of time reading books in law libraries, and I don't like to do that. So then <laughs> someone said, you know, pick something that you would do for free if money wasn't an issue. And I had been um, in the All City Band. I had been a volunteer with the All City Band at that point. And I was like, well, that's what I would do if I was going to do something for free. And um, so I changed my major to be a music teacher, um, struggled with some of the things in as a music ed student. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took me six years to get through that. Um, but eventually I got it through took it. me seven. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, then I started teaching at my old school. We had two changes in principal leadership really close together. And, you know, when you're you're working at your old schools, you feel a sense of responsibility for what happens there. Yes. So then just being hired any random place. And so I felt like we had made some promises to our community. We weren't delivering on those promises to our community and I wanted to help push that forward. So I went back to school, got my admin certificate and was in my head imagining this reality where I could still be involved in music in some ways there and that I would be an administrator there. And that door just did not open. It was like, thank you for offering, but we don't want your help in that way here. So then it was like, well, what are you gonna do? And so I ended up, you know, I had been doing this learning and I felt like there was a calling on me to be a leader in schools and school systems. And so I ended up taking a position for a while in Bellevue as an assistant principal. I came back to my old middle school as a assistant principal for a little while. That position was really focused on discipline. And I think discipline, it's, it's really easy to see black males in a disciplinary role and not to give them the opportunity to really stretch out and be instructional leaders or to see them in those ways. And so that wasn't materializing in Seattle. I kept getting messaging like, you know, Seattle has a way of saying, we're here all about black males, but I was also getting the message that you're not ready and we're not investing the energy into making you ready. So um, a door opened in Quincy, the former principal at my high school was the superintendent in Quincy and he invited me to be the principal. He's like, you're ready. I had some other voice in Seattle say you're ready. So I ended up going out. Um, I was also starting my doctoral program at the University of Washington to learn superintendent work. And so I did two years as a principal in Quincy High School, which is very rural, very different. Very I had experienced, Mm -hmm. um, but I loved it. I mean, great. The kids are wonderful. The people there are really committed to, everybody wants, you know, they want their schools to work. They want schools that help get to kids to where they need to be and um, we just don't all agree on how that happens so really the skill set that you need 
is really to be able to engage in the dialogue and kind of figure it out and keep assuming positive intent. So we were doing well there, um, ended up writing. Um, I worked with the team to, I was doing a lot of the professional development work around race and equity for that team, mm -hmm. but um, we were working on developing a pol equity policy for the district. And so we actually came out with the first um, racial equity policy in Eastern Washington uh, yeah. over that time. And the superintendent from Yakima, he is in the superintendent program with me at the UW. Mm -hmm. And he was like, we really need your thinking in Yakima. So can you come be a part of my cabinet and help us on a district level? And so I was like, that's a great opportunity for me to continue learning and continue um, contributing. And so that's how I ended up here. And I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm enjoying the work um, out here. And it's very, it's somewhere in between a Seattle and a Quincy. It's very, has very rural parts in Yakima. And then there's an urban population as well. And so we're, you know, engaged in the work of, you know, what does it really mean to be um, an anti-racist school system? And what do we have to revisit about the way that we do the work of schooling um, in order to get there? And my summers, I still come back to Seattle. The one thing I said, you know, I've had administrators I had an administrator in Seattle interviewing for a job and I have pictures of my kids in my office in Seattle. And mm -hmm. he says, you know, well, what are you going to, what are you going to give up to do this? And I'm like, I'm not going to give anything up to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was alluding to the all city band pictures on the wall, but I'm like, uh, this is a priority for me. And um, it feeds my soul to be able to be interacting with kids. Right. And that's what it's all about is like seeing the kids achieve and perform and so um that's an important part so i come back in the summers and do that and do yes. whatever leadership work i can do during the school year so that's well, it in a nutshell man it's such a great um trajectory and like um doing such great work it's so great well marcus as long as i've known you i've always thought of you as somebody who um well, likes to have a good time and um, through music, because that's how we know each other, but also who, um, you know, can you're able to transform the mood of the room Absolutely. just by walking into it. I'm always drawn to people like that. And, um, and I can see that those qualities in you are like really working right now at a time when we need everything in your brain we and do. Your lived experience to guide us along and I'm glad it's happening I'm super excited that's awesome yeah I'm, so, loving, I'm loving work yeah so my I, uh, I want to hear about all city band and um I'd, I'd like to hear you talk about that I, I think that the way that um Beth has taken like alt strings work and the way I've taken jazz and the way you've taken marching band are, are kind of actually the same thing. Like taking this um, curriculum that is, the, or taking music that is not Western art music mm -hmm. and using it not just as the curriculum, but like as the teaching mechanism uh, for like building community and uh, and I, I just want to hear you talk about why marching band for you and how you think marching band is 
like the way forward? I mean, for me, it was really, it's, it served me in a way, like I would not be where I was, where I am now, if I had not been in the All City Marching Band. And so for me, when I joined in 92, so I think I joined a year before. A year before me, yeah. And that first year, I was pretty terrible at it. I was um, decent at playing the horn, but like holding the horn level, staying on the right foot, all of that sort of stuff. And I had people just pushing me constantly and um, it didn't matter. It was a non-audition group. Anyone could come, they'll take you where you where you were. And I think that first year, the directors, I know Kathy Rutherford was one of the directors. She taught at West Seattle High School for a while. And she thought I wasn't gonna come back the next year because of how hard they pushed. But being a part of something, um, was very powerful for me. Like I'm a part of something important. I'm part of all city band. And, you know, there was, there was never, you know, kids weren't you're this or you're that it was, everybody was welcome and kids were teaching and supporting kids and I was getting better. So I came back the next year. I started pick, picked up being a drum major, learning how to use the baton. You were a, such a great drum major. And then yeah. after that, it started all clicking and was able to, you know, really do it well. And the things I was learning there, I was able to take back to my high school. We had a high school program that was not, you know, it wasn't very developed. We were, our teacher didn't have a marching band background. So he depended on the kids who were in all city to make it what it was. And we thought we were really doing something and we were just repeating what we learned over the summer. So um, it was just a place that where I learned you work really hard, um, you take pride in what you're doing, you, you're in front of your community, the community is celebrating what it is that you're doing. Uh, most of the stuff that we were performing in, it wasn't competitive or anything. It was all just about entertain the community and take pride in what having fun with everyone yeah. in the band and the community yeah, yeah and together. so you made these and these relationships were you know it was great to have relationships all over town um i yeah. even i mean it was a group of kids from garfield who convinced me to join it where they were going from denny to garfield and they convinced me to join and i went with them to garfield and i was at garfield only for about a month and i was just totally intimidated in that space and then ended up going back to my neighborhood school at self okay. part of that was because i was in the ap program at garfield and that's a hard at that time mm -hmm. it was a hard place to be a black a black oh, child yeah. as a because the kids had such a very we'd be talking about egypt and they're like how many went there and there would be four kids in the room who have been to egypt and we're having a conversation about egypt and i'm like the only place i've ever been was on an eighth grade trip to san francisco so it was mm -hmm. like i just felt really not like I, I didn't feel home and uh, yeah. safe there and ready to fully engage. And so I ended up going back to Silt, but All City Band was that for me was like a family, a home, an opportunity to be a part of something where mm -hmm. it, was, it was an excellent group and you, they're gonna help you come up to their level. And um, when I finished you know, with it and was volunteering, I just wanted to make sure that kids still had that same thing. And so we still, that's what I, my contribution is to try to maintain that. And I think also the other piece about it is the staff, the volunteers are from all these colleges. And so that was the first time where I'm really meeting 
people who were all college students. And it's just this- It wasn't the college professors. No, it no, it's college, college kids, students. right? So yeah. these are college kids who are just in the band, but now they're college students. And so for me, it was like, now I know, you know, 15 or 20 people who are in college. Mm-hmm. And college becomes a lot more real of an expectation yeah. because I know people who are doing it and they're in colleges all over the country. And these are people who are taking mentorship and leadership roles. And so I think that for me, it was setting it like, oh, you you can do this. And there's an expectation that you do this. Um, and so I think it made that a lot more real for me. And so that's a big part of the program too. And you know, the, the great thing about my job in the summer is it's mostly helping the college kids figure out what they're doing and then let them loose to do it. And um, it's not a lot, it's not a lot of work once we get started. For me, mm-hmm. it's a ton of work to organize it leading in and selecting and choosing what they're gonna do and all of that sort of stuff. But um, really let the college kids go and then they inspire the high school kids and the high school kids would run it themselves too. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really great, really great program. The uh, all city component is, I think, real critical to the success of, at least in my memory, like that there were kids, uh, Seattle is, the population isn't, mass. I mean, it is now, it's a lot more massive than back then, but it's very spread out. Um, and, and there would be kids who seemed like they were almost from a different planet or something, but we were all in this, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But we were all in this group together and, um, I met, um, I met students who just finished, there were, uh, there was this girl named Lexi Tiger and she, well, you remember Lexi, of course, and she had just finished her senior year at Roosevelt being in the jazz band. And I was just about to start my freshman year of being in the jazz band. And she took sure she heard that and took me under her wing and was like, these are all the people there that you're going to meet, told me all about them. And, you know, I was still really nervous for that to be in that ensemble as a freshman and but I was so much more confident because I had met this friend and and spent a whole summer going around the city together you know going to all the parades and um and really it makes you feel like a real real participant in being a Seattleite so, yeah, and the fact that it's non-audition is huge. I mean, seriously, come as you are. Yeah, and I think also the, like what you were alluding to, the kids are coming from all different neighborhoods and Seattle yes. is still very much gentrified and there's totally different populations in different parts of Seattle. Yes. And mm-hmm. so for these kids, this is an opportunity for them to come and the program is usually housed at Memorial Stadium in the center of the city where it's easy bus line access for folks. And um, they were, they're able to connect with people from all over the city who have very different backgrounds and experiences. And it's not just what happens in the band setting, but these guys really become friends and they're at each other's homes and they're, you know, before the performances and after the performances and all of that. And so it's really like, 
just building relationships. And when these kids would see the, each other at festivals or what sorts of things, it would be instant connection. And um, I would say for me, that experience that you had in going to Roosevelt, I had that same experience in going to UW is that there were just a ton of former all city people who were at UW. And that's a big, scary place. Even the UW marching band is like 200 plus uh people so i had never really seen so many trombones in my life yeah I right mean, what so yeah. it's great to have people there who you know and who you know welcome you in and um it really helps you kind of figure out how to do it especially if you're like me where it's the first in your you know first generation college student that was a big tremendous help to me like i i like i said it took me six years to get through it but um there was never a option of giving up because I had too many role models who were there who would not allow, allow it. that. So um, I had a student at Ballard High School last year. Um, he was a senior last year. His name is Sam and he was a percussionist. And he um, is this kid, this kind of kid who's like practicing before school, practicing after school, like just in love with music. And um, I saw him at the beginning of last year before everything went to hell in a handbasket. And I was like, Sam, how was your summer, man? And he was like, so good. And he went on and on and on about his experience in All City Band. And it just like was the tip top of his entire, you know, time. And it was the thing for him. And, um, it just makes me think, um, that how, how important that aspect is that kids get this opportunity to do this. And so many different things come out of it. The college mentorship, the friendship, the being a part of your community, the, mm -hmm. uh, relationship building. And it just, like, I'm just sitting here as this, you know, the resident string lady over here on this call. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, why the heck can't orchestra do this kind of stuff? Like, what is it that stops us from this? What, what is it that stops us from this? From having fun and moving our bodies when we play music? <laughs> I mean, there's so many things, right? There's so many things. And there's a lot I, well, I will actually, I want to ask Marcus what he thinks of this because this crazy lady right here thinks I can't really see a good reason why our marching bands couldn't start finding a way to strap cellos on with a guitar strap and like, there's gotta be, okay, the instruments aren't very loud, so right. that's problematic they're made of wood right so in seattle yeah. that's tricky with the weather right um, the bows you could probably like take someone out with that pretty easy as the drum majors like running by to throw up numbers for the next song so there are some like reasons that's tricky but what are there ways that like how could we start thinking about bringing in 
other in, like accordion players? Like what do our accordion players do? What do the violists, how can we create experiences like this for kids that don't play marching band instruments? Whoa, whoa. For us, most of our orchestra, most of the orchestra students who want to be a part of marching band come and join our color guard. So most oh, of the has won a heck of a story about that. Let me tell you. So most of the kids that we have with the flags, and I wouldn't say most, but I would say like half of the kids in our color guard are orchestra kids mm -hmm. who wanted to be a part of the marching band thing. But I think the things, you know, that that teamwork approach to let's create some fun music together and let's not, it's not, I guess. For me, I think the emphasis on reading music mm -hmm. is an is a barrier for a lot of kids, um, yeah. and kids are so like I I was very fortunate to be able to teach from elementary all the way up, and yeah. so and kids come in when they want to play an instrument, they're so excited and they take the instrument and they want to just try to make noise on it, and then we start doing things to them that take some of that excitement about yeah. the instrument away and, and right off put this focus on literacy and it's i think it's a part of you know the white culture worship of the written word is yeah. we need to you know if i almost that, threw my computer up in the air with joy when you said that like <laughs> so i think that's a part of the problem and then and that yes. happens much more to our um our string students because yep. so much of the repertoire is based on that but i think that uh, as teachers we can not do that we can choose not to approach it that way and yeah at some point it's going to be very important that you learn how to read and that sort of thing because it's going to open up certain doors for you but if you learn how to make a good sound and how to play music that you're excited about and you keep that going for a bit longer mm -hmm. then when we start to transition to the written stuff then you actually have the motivation and the confidence to wrestle through it and take that stuff on and so i think we you can do that with orchestra students without it being marching band and i saw i saw you had a group at a festival we randomly took our kids to some festival in Montana. I think that's where I saw. Oh yeah. Group, and you had a string group that was swinging and playing. Like, it was <laughs> it was a jazz string group, and so yeah. uh, we can do this. Can be done if we free ourselves from the the chains that of of the way that it's always been done, which ends up excluding and scaring out a lot of kids who really would benefit. Yeah, um, you know, let's talk about this for a sec. I want to definitely unpack this for a sec. This is really important. Um, so I want to make one point about kids who are in band who get to play the kind of music that you're referring to. Like, it's more like fun. And um, it's more like what you would hear on the radio and um, what students are listening to outside of school. And it also um, happens to include the types of rhythms and syncopations that we listen to when we listen to the radio um, here in the United States, right? Like 
um, rock feel, syncopated feel, um, all kinds of different rhythms that if those things, if those rhythms are written down, they're hard as hell to read, right? They weren't um, ever meant to be written down. Yeah. But, but yeah. band kids get this opportunity from the get-go to be playing these types of um, like rhythms that we hear in our everyday life. But orchestra kids are over here, da 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 you know, just <laughs> doing the Vivaldi thing over here. Um, and it's just like, um, like what I found when Kelly and I started implementing jazz with strings is that when the kids had like a lot of um, time to, to play music that had these characteristic rhythms of music you hear outside of the music classroom, mm -hmm. um, they became a much better players of those rhythms. So A, they became, they could swing. And then B, they, they, they were not swinging at the beginning. Oh but no. They, they were swinging at the end. Yes, you know? they were. But B, holy cow, do they become way better readers. Way better. Oh my God. Like mm -hmm. having an understanding of using your ear to learn these tricky rhythms. And then put it out onto the paper and see what that is. And now yeah. every time you see it, every time like, I oh. put it that for the rest of my life, right. I know that it's fud it that. I yeah. can sing like 500 songs that have a fud it that in them. And I know exactly what it looks like on a piece of paper because it's not really that tricky, but it really looks weird if you don't know what fud it that is, right? Yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah. Well, and if music is taught to you as a math problem, then yeah, yeah you're going to be, it's just a whole, it's not an artistic way to approach anything no. to be trying to do math when you should be listening and trying to create what mm -hmm. you want. And I think for our kids, man, when you start to start with music that is accessible, that they're excited about with us, it's like, well, what are we going to play this summer? Well, what do you want to play? Well, we can play anything you want to, because we don't have to go to the library and depend on someone have written it down. The kids will write stuff they're excited about for us to play mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times. And so uh, it just opens up a whole world of a music whole world opportunities that you don't have um, otherwise. I had a kid, I, I don't want to say, I, when I started teaching, this was kind of the worst day of my career was really the first day of my career. And I was in a staff meeting in a library at this middle school and this teacher introduced himself and he's, he was teaching a program. It was called EBD at that time, Emotional oh, Behavioral yeah. Disturbance. Oh, yeah. right? And they, yeah. they made a better way of calling it. Now they call it SEL, Social Emotional Learning Program, but it's a you know, self-contained program at the school. And this teacher introduced himself and he said, you know, my job is to hold kids until it's time for them to go to jail. And nobody challenged that. And it was my first day as a teacher. And I was like, and I had heard my music professors at UW said, you know, sometimes you need to avoid the teacher lounge. And I, that was when I was like, I'm avoiding, because it was like, no one pushed back on that. And I had this young man that was in, Mm -hmm. his class 
and he was the kid was in my class too mm-hmm. um and i was like this kid ain't he's not going to jail no and being connected with me in some way like that's not a mindset that we can have and he struggled in middle school and then eventually went to he went to roosevelt and ended up being a part of this group that they call tin man uh which is a brass band and these kids just from roosevelt and all city ended up starting this group it's a great group they have a ton of fun and they tour and everything but he is having a great positive productive life doing that um and he's got a job also on the side of that but the reality for him was very different because he was connected to music in a meaningful way. And so I think it's just so important because it just opens up possibilities for kids that people already, as early as sixth grade, this teacher was prophesying that future over this young man. And it was music that really let this kid have another you know, a different reality than what was being. Projected. I'm just like going Rolodexing through the list of kids that Beth and I also had who oh, yeah. were in the BD program all day, except for one hour where they would basically get released to come to the music room and um, were incredible humans and musicians. And I am so glad that You remember, Marcus, um, when the district closed, you know, 11 schools and moved from open enrollment to neighborhood schools. And uh, you probably recall Beth and I freaking out that we were only going to be left with 40% of our kids. And we were really worried about keeping full, you know, 1.0 FTE at that Mm -hmm. point. And so I was like, well, let's get creative. And so we just went and talked to the BD teachers and the ESL teachers and we're like, can we, can you're just, could your whole class come? Yeah. You know, we're just like trying ways to, uh, I mean, at that point it was to just have bodies in our classrooms and try and, you know, use that really bad moment and sort of leverage it for a positive change in the department. But what we learned was more than I thought that we would learn. I, I mean, we really learned that that those groups of students who were being siloed off um, were thriving in our classrooms. And that makes you look at the system, you know? Yeah, what we did um, at Denny to build the program numbers up um, when I was teaching there was we did an instrument petting zoo and we just went from sixth grade classroom to sixth grade classroom Mm -hmm. with the instruments on a cart. And I brought kids in who played those instruments and would have them play them for the kids and introduce and a ton of kids are like I want to you know be a part of that and and it just bumped the numbers up but mm-hmm. it takes teachers to have the belief that this really is for all kids and to right. go out and offer it to all kids and to make sure that the programs have a place that we can take anyone there you can start in sixth grade you can start in eighth grade you can like we are committed to having that that entry place, you know, um, that's so, uh, it's just important that it's- That's a real critical piece of the puzzle is having an intake spot for beginners at any grade band. I think it's really important. Well, that that was one of my concerns as a middle school teacher. Um, And now I teach high school and um, I'm working on crafting 
a program that that is able to absolutely accommodate beginners. But one of my big worries about my students in middle school when they went to like a storied program for high school um, was the pyramid effect that, you know, kids just tumble off as it gets more and more advanced and they just roll down because there isn't, there's not an entry point and there's not like support keeping those kids um, in. And if you're not performing at that high level where you can pull off like Sibelius or whatever, then there really isn't kind of, there really isn't a place for you here. Sorry, you know, yeah. and I so on the art class, I mean, it's so pathetic. Yeah. Not that taking art is pathetic. That's not what I meant. I meant the music part. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the schools have to have, they have to believe the things that they say and make decisions that align to that, right? Like if you want a program, if you really are committed to this idea of equity and this idea of, like I'm emphasizing this idea of educational justice, which is that kids are empowered to make decisions of the future that they want and the reality that they want right now in order to get to that future, then you have to have the space for them to enter and be there at any time. So you have to invest in these programs in the same way. And I think we don't do that a lot of the times that we, we're okay with just saying, well, these kids can take care of their art credit and we just have one or two options for them to do okay. that when really this might be the time that they, you know, want to try something very different that they want to, you know, and we have to be committed to that. I was very fortunate that in the schools that I was teaching music at, the principals resonated with that. So it was like, this kid wants to play, you have to get them an instrument and figure out. And so they would yeah. do what they needed to do to make sure we had the instruments, to make sure that we had the seats available, that we had the classes that were open that way and sometimes it does cost you some of that really elite you yep. know yep you have to you can't yep. you but can't honestly who cares yeah. i mean for real what are we all sitting around polishing trophies at night like really well some people are and some people well, some people's right. big dream is to conduct the sibelius and they want to build that opportunity for themselves and then the parents, you have to also, you have to get the parents to see what kind of experience. That's the nice thing about a program like All City is where the parents can see it happen and they're like, I, that's what I want. That's, that's more important to me yeah. than having my kid be in this very top, like elite, you know, group. And what I have found is that the kids, I have a kid I'm really proud of that's at, you know, um, he is studying at Berkeley College of Music and I've had several kids who have been able to do that thing. And what, what has, the realization for me is that they're not harmed by being in a program that is open to all kids, right? Because there's this idea that, well, my kid, top of the line, my top, you know, he's not gonna get to where they wanna get because they're being held back by these other kids and that's baloney, right? Like yeah. these kids, 
are getting what they need. They can go as far as they would like to go. If they have private tutors, those tutors are helping them the same ways and the doors will all still be open for them. But they're also gonna have this really real experience of working with a group of kids that they might not have the opportunity. And so my kids, they know, like they talk about race and racism mm -hmm. in much more powerful ways because they have had real experiences with kids who look very different than them of doing things together. And they can, they can sympathize with the experiences of these, like we've had real conversations and these kids have real conversations together because they're real friends. But if you create this isolated thing, then these kids on the top, they're not getting that even if they go to like they'll they'll tell their stories for their college essays that they yeah diverse schools but they if they were cordoned off and didn't really get to learn together um you know they haven't had that kind of experience and that's how we create the kind of world that we want is by kids doing work that's important feels important to them and is valued by their community together and i think we're talking about what it you know what would it look like in orchestra but my role now is like, why can't biology class be like that? Right, right, exactly. Why, why, why can't we have every class be around? What are we going to do and create together um, that's gonna have meaning and that's gonna give you the opportunity to learn the things, the principles of whatever this subject matter um, is. And that's what culturally responsive, you know, we're doing something that is important that we have value and that we can see ourselves in. You know, I've been doing a lot of um, gathering of feedback from students um, over the last, well, this whole year, but like now that we're really actually hitting go on coming back to the classroom um, after spring break, um, I spent my days this week talking to kids. Like, I wanna hear what kind of community you wanna see when you come back to school after spring break. So many kids alluded to, um, I want my voice to actually matter in so many words, you know? Um, like, I think kids kind of go along in their education, um, knowing their voice doesn't matter. Like it's happening to them maybe, yeah. Right, they know their voice doesn't matter. They know what to say in these types of conversations to like have the teacher feel like they're being productive in this conversation. Um, and they, they do all the acting through the conversation, but in the end, things don't change in the school. Things don't change in the classroom. And um, the kid knows that their voice isn't valued. Yeah. I think a lot of times what happens is we solicit student voice and I would mm -hmm. also say family and community voice. We yeah. solicit these voices and then we go into a different space and we as the experts, the, the educators, we say, well, what are we going to do to change what they say a year from now? Um, and what we really need to do is have them in the room with us and say, what are we going to, what do we need to do? We have to create the solutions together. We have to design the vision and the mission of what we're trying to accomplish here um, together. And that's one of the learnings that I've been 
very blessed to have as part of this leadership for learning program is this idea of co-design like we got to engage in designing the experience together and identifying what's working what's not working and so that our kids can see i have a student group here in yakima that we are calling the superintendent's advisory council and we meet once a month and we said well what is the problem that you want to work on and their problem that they wanted to work on was mental health supports for kids and so we've been spending every month we come back to that same idea what do we want to create and they're they're designing what they're going to do about that as a music teacher it's very easy to do that what do you guys want to you know, what do we want to perform? Where do we want to perform that? And you can have that, but I think we have to do that all the way around. And yep. that's to me what educational justice is. And it's hard um, to sell that because people are like, well, what's your vision? I'm, it's, it's school leader hiring season right now. And so I'm, I've right. been on both sides of this to where yeah. I'm applying for positions. I've been on the side where I'm interviewing people and we want the leaders to come in and tell us their vision. But really, what if your vision is, I wanna sit down with some kids and I wanna sit down with a community and I want to formulate a vision together, right? People don't buy into that because they are expecting the answers to all be, you know, with some grand poobah. But if I don't know your kids, I'm not in community with your kids. I can't, we can't create a vision for those that they're really bought into. We have to sit and do that work um, together. And so, yeah, what you're saying, um, Beth, is really critical that they want their voices to be heard and to matter and to be able to impact what their experience is in. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're not gonna sit down and get in relationship with kids and with their families and with the surrounding community. Right, and so I think that it's a two-pronged thing. It's that, it's you need to have the relationship and build this working, um, this ability to sit down and work together or in our case, through music, you know, um, let's create this lifetime, let's, let's do this and it'll become something together. Like it'll become something new, but this is one of the things that I think that happens um, is, you know, you can write vision statements to your heart's content. You can do all kinds of sitting down and talking to people, right? But when structures don't change to accommodate the, the ideas that these groups of people come up with, um, that's when you lose people. That's when you lose people. They're like, I spent all this time I gave you 40 hours of free work and my brain and nothing happened. And, you know, structures don't change, you know, we're back at, you know, normal. Yeah. We got to do actual work together, do the actual work together. Yep. And then remove the structures that were holding us back before. Mm -hmm. in order to to move forward with that work and we have to name them so we got to yeah. figure out what are those things and we yep. have to name them and i think for one um is this it's and i want to be really clear as a i believe that it's important for teachers to know what you want kids to learn and accomplish in a classroom um mm -hmm. So I think, and when we come into the room, we know what do we want to accomplish with our time today, but it becomes, I think there's a problem with a blind adherence to a set of 
standards that people didn't have the opportunity to really contribute to um, or that people may not see a lot of buy-in and ownership too. And so I think we're in this um, assessment driven, everything is about preparing for some assessment and only the things that data assesses matter. So we have people contorting themselves to take things that really should be about creating and enjoying and yep. learning community and leadership. Um, and we're trying to force it into this box of these standards that can be written down and measured and mm -hmm. put on a yeah. graph or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the barriers mm -hmm. that really gets yep. in the way because the work that we really need to be doing is teaching people how to be in community. I saw the most beautiful thing when, and I stole it, when um, you guys were teaching at um, Washington, it was a statement that, you know, this it was something to the point of kids are here to learn community over conformity. And that was, that has been something that I've kept with me since seeing that at, at um, Washington when you guys had that statement there, because that's what it's really about is we're here to learn community, not conformity. And we, this blind adherence to these sets of things that can be measured sometimes gets to be about conformity as a, instead of really learning real community. That's something I also love about All City Band and also about jazz and also mm -hmm. about bluegrass is mm -hmm. that um, the idea of perfection has been removed. Yeah. Because in fact, it doesn't exist in these styles of music. And so that makes it okay to have an all play situation with no audition. Yeah. That makes it all right to insert some of your own personality into, you know, sure, we're all trying to be, you know, right foot down on beat one or two, depending on where you're marching. But, um, you know, there is basic uniformity, just like, um, you know, this is a characteristic sound on a trumpet, but there is, but that it's a pretty, it's a broad it's a broad measure at the same time. Like no one has a ruler saying this kid's toe isn't high enough and now they can't march this weekend. Right. You know, nobody's saying, right? Like, yeah. oh, that scoop was too big on that note. So there, there's space for individual interpretation and joy, but also like a standard that all students are being held to, but but there's a looseness yeah. that I think makes it all possible. Looseness, yeah, but no one this is their downbeat. <laughs> right, exactly. And our purpose is like, we have, that's a really great example because right feet we want to have all these musical elements that we're learning about but our purpose is learning how to be a part of a team that does something together and that is really the that's what the priority is on and so right. these are means in order to get to there to be right. connected to something that you're proud of the product that you produce um, right. I think Cell, the Center for Educational Leadership had done a lot of work with kids and they said, well, what do you want out of your educational experience? And they came down to two words, happy and proud. And I think if we can 
work on measure everything through that lens do kids entering this space have the opportunity to be happy and proud we'll be doing a lot to improve um the educational experience for kids um yeah and it's music folks this is what like people reach for when they need help like music is a healing thing music shouldn't be doing us harm right so um you know and if we could shift everything to we're working toward happy and proud and using music as the vehicle um and everything else becomes pretty much not important right but so much will be accomplished if that's the goal um so much would be accomplished skills wise um ensemble wise um community wise mm -hmm. so many different aspects of of what a music program is and what we all aspire to be when we aspire to be music teachers and the program that we want to build absolutely and i think the program we want that program to also reflect the diversity of the schools that they're mm -hmm. in and so um if we have a program where the kids in the classes in the music groups are feeling happy and proud we also want to be looking to say is everybody represented in here mm -hmm. or are we having some issues i love the work that kelly does around women in the jazz mm -hmm. um, orchestra if we're not if we're not seeing that reflected where half the ensemble is women when half of the kids in our school are women, we at least need to be asking the question, why? And is it something that we're doing that's contributing to that? And mm -hmm. I think racially- We simply no longer, it, we can, none of us should allow any person who's teaching music to kids to say something like, this group of students, whatever it be, girls, black kids, whatever, mm -hmm. don't like to this music right that answer girls just don't like jazz uh <laughs> i have heard it hundreds of times it is unacceptable to say well you know the the mexican kids at my school they don't like to play classical music it's not true they and just I've heard it as well about jazz, which is the craziest thing to yeah. me is like you think the reason there's not black kids in the jazz band is because black people don't like jazz like what are you talking about but, where does that even where? possibly come from where? so we got to say there's a problem here and what are we going to do to address it when we see those you know disparities and who's actually represented in the space because if we have a place where we're doing the good work of having kids experience um, happiness and pride, we want to make sure that everybody has access to experience those things. Because 100% of children want to be proud of what they're doing and to be happy. Yeah. And of course, they want to hang out in a room with a bunch of other kids and shake their butts and play music and have fun and be proud of themselves. They want to do that. They just might not want to be in your lame classroom. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Man, that's a hard truth. And you know what? I know that I have totally 
than that teacher. Oh, me too. In the past and probably today even, who knows? But we always need to be like working on it, like work on it, like work on it. And it's, it's a constant, constant job. And yeah. listening to kids, which is hard, right? Like yeah. Marcus is talking about this advisory board with students, yeah. right? If some kid says something and your first reaction is like, that's crazy. No, we're not going to do it. Like, that's not really okay. You know? So you have to ask what they think and you have to be willing to accept it and to try and actually institutionalize it, right? Like we can't just play lip service to caring what students have to say, even if it yeah. goes against our own belief system. Well, we have to fight that urge to be like, um, this kid doesn't know anything. You know, I'm the teacher, I'm the one with the knowledge and I know what this kid needs to learn. Of course we have like, we all have like this build up music teacher knowledge. And of course, like, yeah, my, my main gig is teaching people how to play stringed instruments. But if a kid has a desire or a need, I think we need to like really work on um, extracting that from them and being the facilitator for that. Mm-hmm. And it but, makes the job more fun because as a teacher, you get to perpetually stay in a place as a learner too. Like yes. I have to learn something new in order to do this. And that's that's a lot of fun. The work, yeah. I'm, I'm doing racial and educational justice work. I'm definitely not an expert on racial and educational justice, but I'm coming into spaces and saying, let's be learners together. Let's mm-hmm. ask some hard questions together. Let's figure out some stuff together. Let's talk to kids and families and learn from them together. And yeah. it's, there's a joy, there's a scariness of, you know, diving into what you don't know, but when you do it, that's a lot of fun. It is fun. It's fun. And you end up coming away with so much more knowledge about everything and skill. You come away with pride and pride and happiness (laughs) and happiness. Yeah. And, um, just, just like, moving away from the space of like, I am the one that will bestow my knowledge upon you to the person that's like, I am here to help you realize your goals and dreams in music. And um, we're going to do this together. And I definitely don't have all the answers, but I do have skills in finding help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Working with people, finding community members that can help us. Pretty good at emailing, you know? <laughs> right. I can I can a Zoom call, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm excited about life right now. Yeah. Marcus, I miss having you around. Yeah, we Seattle. miss you in Seattle. I think what we've learned is that the world is a lot smaller than we think, and we're all just a little click of a button away away from each other so i hope that we that is nice. continue to remember that um, yeah as we move back to in-person learning that we're just yep. it's just this far away um, yeah so happy to talk with you guys and really i'm 
it's feeding me to stay, be connected, talking about music and talking mm-hmm. to teachers who are really in it and trying to um, help us as a music profession get to something better for kids that, you know, oftentimes get left out. So I appreciate yeah. what you're doing here. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you so much for this. It's really uh, important to Beth and I as people on those types of advisory boards to gather as much information. I mean, really what you're saying, that's why we do this show. Like we want to know what our amazing colleagues are doing and thinking, and we want to try and um, lift their voices into these various boards that we sit on and see if we can actually you know, institutionalize some of these changes or in a lot of cases, uh, remove barriers. Remove I mean, barriers. Stripping down is a lot of the work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you. That barriers are within our systems and it's not, well, a lot of times it's easy to be like, well, the problem is they don't have this or they don't this. And really when I say barriers and when you all, I'm hearing when you say barriers, we're talking about things that are us system things as the systems based actors, the barriers that we put up that yep. we can yep. move. And to take it a step farther, most of those barriers are structures that are rooted in white supremacy. Absolutely. And uh, so they obviously have to go for that reason alone. Yeah. If we can't accept that getting a bunch of kids to play music is a good reason, then let's at least strip white supremacy out of our professional organizations the best that we can yeah that would be cool it's gonna take a lot of work it's a lot of work and it'll be painful yeah and there's a lot of conversation that needs to take place about what do you mean when you use those words and yeah you know because right now i think we're in this climate of like the woke battle where we're all like saying a bunch of good stuff but then when it comes time to do some things align to the stuff we're saying then it's like oh, you know we, we're yep. back up so um yep. yeah we got to really dig in and lean into what is all of that stuff and what does all of that stuff mean and a million thanks to our listeners followers and subscribers The support we receive monetarily and otherwise helps us to be able to spend time creating a quality product and it allows us to tap into partnerships and resources to which we wouldn't normally have access. We are stoked about the journey of learning we have ahead of us and we are delighted you've decided to join.